Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We are in the book of John. And I want you to please turn to the book of uh, chapter 7. John chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 37. And it says this, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But the This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now there's a few things I want to point out from this portion of Scripture, as we follow this train of thought. The first one is this. There is a condition that Jesus places on this incredible privilege. What is that condition? Thank you, gift. If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You see, the Bible is full of of expressions like this, where Jesus said, those who seek will, those who ask will, those who knock to them the door will be opened. In other words, there is a prerequisite that God requires from you and I before he will, before before we are free, or He is free, or at liberty to share Himself with us in greater measures or greater dimensions of fullness. It requires a hunger on our behalf. But then He goes on to say this, If anyone thirsts, here's the way, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, out of his, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. We see another prerequisite there. What is that? He who believes. He who does not believe, nothing changes. Nothing is different. But if there is a thirst for the things of God, for the Spirit of God, for the life of God, and if there is faith enough to believe that God, that that what Jesus says concerning His Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at a few things this morning, is true, then we bring ourselves into that place where Jesus says, out of us will flow a trickle of, of, of water. Rivers. Rivers of living water. There's a gush. There is a stream that is certainly beyond what you or I could manage to do or to produce. This is beyond human zeal. This is beyond human effort. But there is a call and there is a desire that God has that every one of us be filled to His Spirit without measure. As you know, I've shared this with you a number of times. I am believing God, and, and as you can see, there's a wrestling going on within my own heart. I am believing God for marvelous encounters this year. For myself, marvelous encounters with His Spirit, with His love, with His wisdom, but also for us as a spiritual family. And I think too often we get caught up in trying to figure out what that may look like. This is what it's got to look like, and it's got to, uh, you know... 
I think perhaps our experience of the past comes in and informs that. But, you know, I really believe that some people just need a marvelous encounter with the mercy of God. You know, they know God loves them and He's forgiven them. But when they come into His presence, they still do so with a sense of guilt in their heart. I believe some people really need a marvelous encounter with the person of Jesus Christ because they need to get saved. Other people need a marvelous encounter with the Holy Spirit of God to understand the fullness of His Spirit and what He desires to do. If we go on a little bit further in the book of John, and we go to chapter 16, we see some more things that Jesus says concerning His Holy Spirit. Now, He's preparing His, his, his disciples for His departure. And He says this to them, 16 verse 5, But now I go away to Him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where, do you, where, where are you going? But because I have said these things, you sorrow... Because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So what, but what Jesus is basically saying here is the disciples were more concerned about themselves. What's going to happen to us if Jesus leaves us? And they were actually concerned about Jesus who's telling them, I'm about to be crucified. And their, 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 their concern is themselves. But let's look at what Jesus says. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, what will he do? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, have, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All the things the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Isn't that incredible? It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not, the Helper will not come. What is the purpose of the Helper? We see it there in that portion of Scripture. It is to bring us into those encounters with God that we may have a revelation of sin. That we may repent. That we may have a revelation of righteousness. That God has brought us into right standing with God the Father and into all truth, and of judgment, because the ruler of this earth has been judged. That is a significant statement. You see, here's the pattern. Here's what Jesus is trying to communicate. The Holy Spirit will make you aware of your sin, make you aware of what is not right between you and God, that it may be repented of and turned from, that you may position yourself in full right standing with God, not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness that Jesus imparts. And He also makes the revelation to you and I of judgment. That the enemy has been judged. So you and I stand in a position of authority and of judgment over the enemy. In the righteousness of God. No longer subject to, to his influence. No longer subject to the tyranny of sin and sin consciousness. 
You know, the Bible says that you and I were debtors. And the problem with being in debt is that you are a slave. You are a slave to a master. God has given every one of us the free will of choice, that we can choose our lives, we can choose our destinies, we can choose which way we want to go, we can choose who it is that we want to follow. But the problem is you and I are all indebted to sin. Our choices that we made and the choices we continue to make very often put us in a place of debt. And the debtor is always the servant of the lender, the one who is in debt. What does that mean? That means he pulls the strings. And this is what Jesus is trying to say here. I want to make you free from those things so that your life can begin looking like something different. Folks, there's a reality that is setting down in me, settling down deep down in my heart. You know, I come here on a Sunday morning. I lead the praise and worship and I use my gifts and I love it. I enjoy it. I stand up and I preach. And I can do this week after week after week after week without any change. You know why? Because I do not have within me the ability to change hearts. I do not have in me the grace to deliver people from oppression, from sickness, disease. I don't have the the gift or the ability to, to make revelation knowledge come into your heart. But here as we are gathered together in this place, there is one who does. And that is the Holy Spirit. Let's look at some more things that as we page on a little bit throughout the story and we start in the book of Acts, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. It's his last word. He says to them, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive the the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You shall receive power. The power that convicts people of sin. You remember when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the first thing that the people said is, Peter preached and they said, well, what must we do? And he said, repent. They were convicted of their sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes and convicts of righteousness that brings with it a boldness to step out and execute the judgments of God. So what I'm talking about here for you and for me and for us as a collective family is to say that if we truly value the power of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there requires of us a response, a hunger and a thirst, a desire to say, Lord, we believe and we long to see you work and move in power among us. It is to come and be honest before the Lord and say, I can go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but I'm no longer satisfied with just hearing a message which perhaps makes me chuckle once or twice, enlightens my mind, and I learn something interesting, but in reality leaves my heart unchanged, unshifted, and unmoved. To say, Father, I don't want to be where I am anymore because you promise so much more. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You desire for us to be led by your Holy Spirit, to do the same things you did, Jesus. He says, the things I will do, you will do, and greater works than these, 
because I go to my Father. And what is he saying in that? Because I go to my Father, I will send you the Spirit. Therefore, the things that I do, you will also do. And you will be witnesses to me, to the ends of the earth. Now, this is not just for the apostles. Because the apostles went throughout their region, and they went and spread it. But I don't know of anybody who went down to Brazil. I don't see Peter coming back from Australia going, G'day, boys! The gift is given to go to where? The ends of the earth. To continue to grow, to continue to, to, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, that the life of God may be seen. Now, I want you to turn once again with me in your Bibles, and I want to look at a few verses from book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You've got your Bibles there? I suppose you're all following Siobhan. He's quick on the draw there, so thank you, Siobhan. Paul here writes this letter to a group of believers called the Corinthians who were flowing powerfully in the ministry and the gift of the Holy Spirit. However, because of their immaturity, there was a great deal of jostling among them. Everybody was competing with one another. There was strife. There was division. Everybody thought they were more important than the next. They had what's called worship team syndrome. Have you noticed that when you, I don't know if you've noticed this, but worship teams generally what happens is you've got three or four people on a stage and the one says, I just can't hear myself. Can you put me a bit louder, please? And the next one says, oh, now I can't hear myself. Can you put me a bit louder, please? The next one says, oh, but now they're so loud. I can't hear myself. Can you put me a bit louder, please? And then the next one says, but now I can't hear me. Can you put me a bit louder, please? And everybody just wants to be the loudest voice in the room. And that's kind of what was going on in Corinth. This competition, this jostling. And so Paul, in so many areas of 1 Corinthians, is writing letters to them. And it's very interesting, straight after addressing them about their conduct when they come together, speaking about the communion, the kinonia of being together and enjoying the Lord's Supper, in other words, having communion, that's what, you know that familiar scripture we always read? And it was given to me by the Lord himself that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus said, take, eat, this is my bread, my body is broken for you. You know all of that. that that's what Paul, that's, we bring that out of 1 Corinthians 11. And from that, we follow straight into 1 Corinthians 12. And here Paul is saying to them again, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Dumb doesn't just mean stupid, although we could probably interpret it that way. Dumb means idols that do not speak. What is a God that does not speak but a figment of our imagination? A God that has no opinion is not a God at all. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say this. There are diversities of gifts, but the same... Now I want you to say that word out loud to me when we come to it. But the same... There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities... But it is the same God who works all in all. The same God. The same God that was, that, that, that was with Jesus, whom Jesus was. The same God who flowed through the life of the apostles. The same Lord, the same Holy Spirit. 
But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Holy Spirit, through the? To another, the word of knowledge through the same? To another, faith by the same? To another, gifts of healings by the same? To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one as He wills. What is the key emphasis here? The Spirit of God. And here's the beautiful thing that Jesus is trying to, or that Paul is trying to articulate. God has given us His Spirit but with His Spirit, He has also given us wonderful gifts. What is a gift if it is not forgiving and receiving? Amen? Now, you don't have to receive a gift. Have you ever tried to give somebody a gift that didn't want it? Awkward. And you try to convince them by how much you spent on it. No. It's, a, it's an awkward moment when you try to give somebody a gift, but they don't want it. What's really difficult is when you give that gift out of love, when that gift will bless, when that gift will, t- will, will truly bless and minister to that person. Maybe somebody's in severe financial need, and you have the figure and the amount that you desire to give to them, but they simply won't receive it. They choose, rather, because of their own pride, to stay without the gift because for some reason they don't see themselves as worthy or because they don't want to be beholden to, to you. I think, folks, very often this is the same attitude we have with the Holy Spirit. You see, the gifts of God are like a puzzle. And every one of us carries a piece of that puzzle. And when we all bring our pieces and we put that puzzle together, we get to see the image of Christ forming and developing right in front of our eyes. The fullness of that image. Now, I don't know about you. My grandmother used to used to be a mad jigsaw puzzle builder. I remember she used to live in Paul, and she had a dining room table that was massive, and she used to build these 2,000, 3,000-piece puzzles. And her husband, my grandfather, used to take great joy when she wasn't looking and taking one piece and just waiting. And, of course, she would carry on. She would carry on from time to time. They'd be just, she'd be just about done, and there's that one piece that she just can't find, and he'd come, and he'd go and put the piece in, and she goes... I've been looking for that. Do you know how I've been looking for that? And she would call him all kinds of names which I can't say now in public from the pulpit. I think sometimes we're like that in the body of Christ. Whereas God has given you a gift. He has given you something of value that He has your name written on it. And if you withhold it, not only does everybody else suffer, but the fullness of the image of Christ, the fullness of what the Spirit of God wants to do in us, for us, and through us, is not realized completely. Because there's a withholding going on. A withholding of trust to the Lord and a withholding of the gift that God has given us. And I want to say to you that every single one of you has a gift. Now some of you may say there's, there's a difference between the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charisma gifts and the charisma gifts and the, the you know, there's, there's other kinds of gifts that the Bible talks about. The gift of hospitality, the gift of administration, the gift of leadership. And those are all good things, and they're all true. But they all need to be used in order to receive or to produce a harvest, in order to produce life within the body and grace.
Now, here's what I want to share with you this morning, and I think it's something that will be incredibly helpful for you. Very often when we read this very portion of Scripture, we miss the word that comes up most. What is the ultimate gift here? The Spirit of God. Amen? By whom do all these gifts manifest, find their inspiration and their power? The Spirit of God. Where we often make the mistake is by trying to locker in a specific spiritual gift and say, right, this is mine. This is what I can do. I can pray in tongues, but I can't interpret. Or I have the gift of faith, but I, I can't heal the sick. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus ever turn anybody away saying, no, I don't have that gift in me? No, of course he didn't. And that's a lousy example because Jesus was Jesus. He had the fullness of the Spirit living within him. Let me ask you this. Did any of the apostles ever turn anybody away? Oh, sorry, you've got to go to Peter for that one. I'm the word of wisdom man. I've got a word of wisdom for you. Peter's got your healing. doesn't work that way. You never see the apostles turn anybody away and saying, I do not have that gift. Why? Because their mentality was not limited to a gift that they may have experienced or not experienced yet. Their awareness was that in me is the Holy Spirit who is the author and the creator and the manifester of all the gifts and therefore any of the gifts and then some are available to me. Because we can do the same things Jesus did and greater works also because he went to the Father. Now what Paul is talking about in this here moment is he's talking about when you guys come together, don't all jostle for position. But when you're together, understand that there's one spirit working among all of you. So be considerate of one another. And let one give a word in tongue. But if there's going to be a word in tongues, he says in chapter 14, there must be an interpretation. Otherwise, what's the point in a public setting? You're just talking in tongues, but you don't edify anybody else. When you pray in tongues, you edify yourself, but you're not edifying the body. So in a corporate setting, if you're going to pray to address the body, there needs to be an interpretation. If you're praying with yourself, as you would do, then you can pray in tongues with and to yourself. God's given you that beautiful language. And you don't have to give all the words of wisdom, Mark. And you can allow Kian to lay hands on a few people to be healed. What do you think about that, Kian? Amen. Do you understand? Here's the point he's making. Guys, when you come together, be aware that you come together in the presence of Almighty, Holy God. And this nonsense that's going on among you guys, that needs to stop. And you need to allow the Spirit to work in a way that is conducive to the blessing of the whole entire body. And if you, if you, if you, if you, if you carry on looking through that, he starts talking about the body of Christ. We're not all called to be the same thing. We're not all called to do the same thing. We're going to have gifts that differ. There are going to be things, and even spiritual gifts, that you flow in more naturally than others. Why? Because that is how God wired you. You will find that those who flow in the ministry of the evangelical office will generally function in great faith, in healings, in workings of miracles. Why? Because that is, that is how they're wired. The prophetic ministry will fu function far more powerfully in words of knowledge, words of wisdom, words of prophecy. That doesn't mean that they cannot heal the sick. That doesn't mean that they do not have great faith. So the point that I'm trying to make here is this is not an exhaustive list to put limitations on us. This is a list to say, Guys, there is one Holy Spirit who does all of these things. And He is in you, and He is among you. 
And he desires to manifest the love and the grace of God in you and among you. I want you now move to the book of Ephesians, Siobhan. Chapter 3. Because here's the question, where do we start with this? If we want to enter into greater dimensions of experiencing the Holy Spirit, where do we begin? We understand there needs to be hunger. We understand there needs to be thirst. We understand there needs to be faith. So a good place to begin would go and read the Scriptures. Go read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Go and read the things that Jesus says concerning His Holy Spirit. But I want to say to you this. My life really took a dramatic turn when I had a revelation of these verses from Ephesians chapter 3. Verse verse 14 on, Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus and he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant to you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Isn't that what we're asking for? Holy Spirit might. To be strengthened with might, not human might, but the Spirit's might, through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth of height and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How much of the fullness of God? All the fullness of God. Oh, so often we limit the fullness of God in our lives. So often we limit what God wants to do, what He can do, what we think is possible, what we think is plausible through our own reasonings, through our own doubts, through our own fears. And do you know why we do that? Because we have not yet had the revelation of the fullness of the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God. Why? Because it passes knowledge. It is beyond what you or I could ever imagine. And I yoke the scripture with another one in the book of Romans chapter 8. Right towards the end of the chapter where it says this. This is what it says concerning God's everlasting love. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? What is he talking about here? All things, whatever you need. Because He loves you. He loves you so much that when you were lost and dead in sin, He gave you the sacrifice that you needed, the pure and spotless Lamb that you may be forgiven. And through that pure and spotless Lamb, He has given you healing. He has given you deliverance. He has given you everlasting life. He has given you His grace. He has given you His Holy Spirit to dwell with you, to lead you into all truth, to reveal to you the love and the nature of Jesus Christ, and to work in and through you by His power manifestations 
that will make you marvel. Marvel at what? Marvel at the great love of God. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. And then he asks this question, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In other words, in the midst of everything that you or I face in this life, we know deep down in our hearts that God loves us no matter what, that we are caught up in His love, that our names are engraved in the palm of His hand. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. In other words, all of these things, all the stuff that's going on around us, will not conquer us. It will not have dominion over us, but we will have dominion over it because we know that Jesus loves us. It's the revelation of that love that makes all the difference. And then he closes out the chapter saying this, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know what that means, folks? The Bible tells us that God loves every single person in this world, even those who've rejected Him. And that means that God's love, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That means that those who have died and have rejected His love, who are in hell, who are separated from Him, his heart still breaks over every soul. His love doesn't end because we reject it. His love continues to faithfully persevere and pursue. And I want to say this to you. The power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit has not ceased just because we reject it. It continues. And He continues to seek entrance into your situation to minister love, to minister His grace, to minister His power for deliverance, for healing, for wisdom, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be manifested, that the world may know that we serve a living God. If all we have is stories, we might as well read them fairy tales. Without the power, it means nothing. If all we're doing is coming to church week after week without experiencing the intimate power of God moving us, changing our hearts, working within us, what's the point? What's the point? And this is where I'm wrestling right now, folks. And I'm hoping that I'm stirring up a bit of the same wrestle within your own heart. Not to be satisfied with so little when God has made available to us so, so much. It's like coming to a banqueting table. We read about it in Psalm 23. He sets this banqueting table before me in front of all my enemies. But all we want to eat is, a, you know, the bread and the butter. 
You know the stuff that they give you for free, just on the table, before all the good stuff's arrived? That, that's all we want, Lord. Thank you, and I'm very grateful for my bread and butter. Can I at least give you some jam? No, thank you. I don't want to inconvenience. No, God has set a lavish, a lavish, a lavish meal for you. The fullness of His Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we, I want to just pray a prayer and lead us in a prayer maybe. That where we have been satisfied with very little, where our journey with God and our walk with God has been limited to a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night Bible study where we learn some stuff, but yet still long to experience that presence and that power of God. Father, as we stand in your presence this morning, we want to acknowledge, Father God, I want to acknowledge that we have been so satisfied with so little, my Lord God. I'm reminded of a scripture as I pray right now. I just need to check if it's Ezekiel or Jeremiah, the broken cistern. Someone help me. Is that Jeremiah or Ezekiel too? Here, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Father, we've hewn for ourselves traditions. We've hewn for ourselves expectations. We've hewn for ourselves trust in our own abilities, in formulas, in programs, in gatherings. And these things cannot contain or hold the water of the Spirit of God. Lord, the wineskins of our hearts have become hard and brittle. They are not pliable to what you desire to do in and for us. And so as we stand before you this morning in your holy presence, we say, Father God, please, in Jesus' name, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for being satisfied with so little of you. Forgive us for being happy that we're going to heaven, but yet also happy to walk in the ways of this world. Forgive us, Lord God, where our hunger for you has died down. This morning, Lord God, we want to return to our first love. The one in whom the fullness of God rests and dwells. We want to thank you, Lord God, afresh for your Holy Spirit with us today. Thank you for the gift that you have given us in your Holy Spirit. And I want to thank you and acknowledge your presence here today, Holy Spirit that you are the giver and the provider of beautiful and wonderful gifts that function not within the natural mindset and framework, for they are supernatural gifts. They supersede our understanding. They supersede our expectations. And so we open our hearts to you this morning. And if this is something you want to do this morning, I ask you to pray this prayer with me. Holy Spirit, I open my heart to you this morning. I ask for rivers of living water in Jesus' name. Would you fill me afresh with the fullness of God? Would you reveal to me the greatness of the love of God that I would be moved beyond myself, beyond being concerned with only my needs,
that you would grip my heart with a kingdom vision, with the love of God that desires to see the lost come to salvation, to walk in the fullness of faith, in the fullness of the love of God, in the fullness of the power of God every single day. Holy Spirit, have your way. I want to thank you, Lord God. You are the one who works in us both to will and to do your good pleasure. And as we have prayed these prayers today, I trust you by faith, Lord God, that you have implanted within us this morning a hunger for more that will be insatiable. A hunger, Lord God, that will drive us to our knees, that will drive us to our prayer closets, that would, that would make the, 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 the things that we're so satisfied with taste like dry, stale, pasty bread. Give us a hunger for true life, for the meat of the Word, for the fullness of Your Spirit. Thank You that You have begun something new in our hearts and in our journey with You today. And thank You for Your faithfulness to honor our prayers. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.